Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service design principal now based in Dublin, Ireland. In this episode, we caught up with Frank Long, one of Ireland's UX forefathers. Frank mentored me way back in the 90s and shortly after began working in the usability and accessibility space for Frontend, one of Europe's oldest UX consultancies. Now, a number of years ago, whilst I was living in Sydney, I began to see and hear front-end winning awards left, right and centre at the IXDA Awards in America, Lyon and UX Awards and so on, beating some of the massive organisations for some of the biggest design awards in the design world. Now, I wanted to go and dig a little deeper to understand what they were doing internally and how they were doing it. And turns out they created an initiative called Design Fix, which was led by the UX designer John Buckley. Now, we chat about Design Fix and the two projects that were born out of this initiative, one focusing on the Syrian migration crisis, which was actually supported by the UN, and later Moot, a civil dialogue for the post-truth era. And that resulted in an incredible white paper that included some of the world's finest UX thought leaders, such as Whitney Kiesenberry um, from the Centre of Civic Design and Chelsea Molden from the Public Policy Lab. Look, this is a massive episode. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get straight in. Frank Long, a very warm welcome to the This Is HCD podcast. Nice to meet you again, Jerry. Nice. We've known each other, as a disclaimer, we've known each other for quite a while. We're thinking about 20 years. More years than I care to remember. I know. We'll, we'll probably get into that a little bit more about Frank, how he, uh, how he influenced my career. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about how you got into design. Well, I was always interested, I suppose, in, in art at school. I wanted to go to college, I wanted to go to art college uh, specifically, and I guess design was a way of, uh, I mean, my parents were a little bit apprehensive about letting me go to art college, mm. um, but we found this magical course called industrial design, mm-hmm. which seemed to marry everybody's hopes together. I got to do design, and my, my parents thought there might be a job at the end of this, little did they know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I went and kind of uh, applied for industrial design, and... Uh, you know, thinking that I'd end up designing cars and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's that's how I started. Went to NCD, uh, spent four years there. And then uh, after that, we graduated at a time in Ireland where there was very few jobs to be had, and particularly in design, creative field. Uh, so I spent a couple of years doing creative stuff like painting murals and working at gigs and various things until eventually uh, I landed uh, my first proper design job with LG Electronics Mm. uh, who had their European design center based in Dublin. So I worked there for four years designing uh, TVs, microwave ovens mainly, VCRs, all that kind of stuff. We used to restyle the products for the European and global market based on the Asian kind of uh, undercarriage and uh, did that for four years, I think I designed 27 microwave ovens in my time. Wow. I'm the king of microwave ovens. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then um, a colleague of mine uh, who I'd worked with in LG, he 
founded Frontend along with two others. So he was Maliki and uh, two uh, colleagues, uh, Fiona and Niall, had set up this company to make the internet more easy to use, a better place. And uh, six months after they set up, Maliki asked me, would I be interested in Come coming join. to join him? And so, the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah, and so myself and Frank, obviously Frank tutored me when I did industrial design in NCAD. And um, we're going to discuss a little bit more about front end because I noticed over the last maybe say five years or six years maybe there was uh, a lot of activity in the IXDA community like you were winning all these awards. I'm sitting in a room here everyone and there must be about 15 awards and seven of them are IXDA gold awards or whatever it is. There, there's lots of awards from IXDA because you're doing some incredible work and um, we're going to talk a little bit more about design fix. So tell us how did it come about and you know where did it start? Well, I suppose just to kind of, you know, start at the beginning, I mean, Frontend is a UX design consultancy. Mm. So for the last 20 years, we've been providing clients with UX design services, research, interaction design, visual design and, and, and user testing and all of that good stuff. We've worked with clients all over the world. We're, we're kind of lucky because we started so long ago. Uh, it's 20 years ago that the field was incredibly new at that time. Mm. And so we very quickly built an international client base. We got to work with people like Barclays Bank in the UK, worked with HP in Spain, we're working with UPC in the Netherlands. And and all of the time we're working with these guys on groundbreaking stuff. So it was the first digital TV system, the first internet banking system, the the first web-enabled server for printing. We're we're really kind of getting in at the early stage in all of these projects. So... Our company very quickly got exposure to a lot of new technologies, a lot of Mm. interesting projects, a lot of big challenges that had to be overcome. And we've ridden the the roller coaster of of design, you know, through the good times and the bad times over that 20 years. And I I guess, you know, after the dot-com crash, which was probably the biggest challenge, we decided that to survive, we needed to specialize. So we became very focused on complex problems. We became focused on, you know, primarily, you know, software that had very specific, you know, domain uh, knowledge required, very complex problems to solve. So things for stock traders, things for analysts, mm-hmm. medical uh, software became something we got involved in. And so... You know, over the years, I guess that's, you know, how our company has developed. So we got to a stage uh, a couple of years ago where um, we got a dream project who walked in the door to design uh, a system for milkmen, which was, uh, I did a job with milkmen, do they still exist? Yeah. It was from a very big company called Glambia, who are yeah. worth billions of, of euros. They're Absolutely. massive. They have businesses in 33 countries around the world. Milk is a very small part of what they do, and milkmen are a very small part of that. But nonetheless, I was intrigued by this idea that we could design something for milkmen. It's like been asked to design something for astronauts. You yeah. know, like a milkman. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I went out and we, we did research with milkmen. We, we got up at dawn we we traveled around their rounds with them we you know we watched how they do things and like it was fascinating because it's an industry that has changed not one bit in a hundred years yeah everything's done on the back of an envelope money left under plant pots sending like the local neighborhood kids out into a housing estate to collect your money for you and hope they come back with the milk it's crazy right so 
we were designing a system for people who uh, who had never sent an email, who had never like even kind of bought a flight online. It was mm. quite challenging, and that project. I think the story behind it, it's been it's been credit incredibly successful. Like it's it's got revenues of over five million a year. It's got three hundred thousand customers signed up. It's been really really successful. And this is just the Irish market. Yeah. So. We entered that in the IX Awards, and that was our uh, was our first win. Four, was, yeah, I uh, do remember this, and we didn't expect to win. To be totally honest, but it was over in San Francisco, and we decided, look, we're we're, we're finalists. We should go. So we actually brought a good chunk of the office over to attend the event and go to the conference and everything. And then we're amazed to find that not only did we win our category, but we won the Grand Prix that year. So this was like we were majorly emboldened by this injection of confidence from the international UX community to say, wow, people from Ireland can, you know, hold their own on a world stage. So that made us think about, okay, well, how do we create great projects like that? Or do we have to wait for one of these projects to walk in the door in order to do something really great? Or can we make it happen ourselves? So that's, I think, when we started thinking about, you know, Design Fix, which is our uh, pro bono social design challenge that we do every year. And that's, you know, perhaps gave us the confidence to do that. Absolutely. I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And like for those businesses out there that are listening to this, I'm sure there's there's people in their staff that are like, oh, this is kind of a boring project. Design Fix actually works towards fixing the kind of need of a designer wanting to get more into the nitty gritty of fixing stuff. But also I think it has a massive role to play in actually improving the culture and, you know, setting up a design culture and also like giving you the opportunity like to have a sandpit to try stuff out. Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, we were sitting down in, in, you know, in the studio one day and uh, John Buckley, one of our, our designers, he was keen to do some work with students and he just said, you know, Frank, can we, is there anything we can do, maybe run a competition or something? I want to go reach out to students in third level. You know, he made a good business case for it, said it'd be good for recruitment, it'd be good for all of that yeah. kind of stuff, which there always has to be a, an underlying kind of benefit for the business. But, you know, the main objective, I think, was just to engage students and to, um, to work with them. And, you mm. know, the students bring incredible energy. I mean, as you remember, even when I worked in LG, I, I used to do lecturing in, in your college and I think that's where we first met. So I don't think you, know. you got any energy out of me back then. <laughs> so John was keen to do this this kind of student outreach thing, and uh, I was just thinking about well, if we're going to do something, can we not make it more meaningful? Is there is there something else? You know, is there an angle we could take that would that would maybe allow us to achieve something that could maybe help us emulate what we've done for the milkman? You know, in a in a more social context and at the time we were watching all these distressing pictures on the tv of syrian migrants you know pouring over borders and and like being kind of rescued in boats and i just thought out loud what could human-centered design do to solve a problem like the syrian migrant crisis i don't even fix it it work towards making it better yeah exactly and i mean i I say that kind of facetiously in a way i mean not trying to fix the problem but like what difference could we make Mm. could we even make a little difference like i mean it's almost a challenge to even make a little difference so at the time we were doing a lot of work in the healthcare space in geneva with a a large pharmaceutical company uh so we're over and back to geneva a lot uh so we reached out to the un 
who are based in Geneva, and they have their migrant group uh, over there. So quite quickly, really, we, we kind of you know, arranged uh, a meeting where we chatted to them about what we could do, what, what problems were they facing mm. you know, in, in dealing with this challenge. And they literally had hundreds of people on the ground you wow. know, in various countries, like, you know, trying to manage and cater and deal with this chaos that was going on. And so we identified the healthcare space within this kind of migrant problem as a big opportunity or something that was causing them a lot of pain. So initially that first project was based around a future vision for migrant healthcare. So we worked mm. with the UN uh, and students and various industry experts to come in and to uh, you know to frame a problem, to do some kind of work, and to come up with a concept that would perhaps shine a light in the way that maybe these systems should work, you know. And then that you know was quite successful. So that led to the to the following year where we uh, we we tackled Moot. We're going to get onto Moot in a little bit, but let's hang on the Syrian one for for a minute because you've got three very successful projects, three very strong outcomes from them. We can talk probably a little bit more about the My Milkman one, but the one that I'm kind of really interested in now is the Syrian one. Okay. So um, talk to me a little bit about you know, how you reached out to universities and what role did they play in the Syrian Migrant Healthcare Project? Sure. So we wanted to work with students, but I suppose we were limited to an extent. Um, we needed to work with students who were at a certain level, so we limited our outreach to master's programs. Mm. Uh, so we went to uh, the National College of Art and Design that you uh, are familiar with. Uh, we went to Dunleary uh, College of Art and Design. We also had input from Carlo Design Course and uh, University of Limerick and Trinity College Dublin. So there was five colleges involved, and we were... Not all of these colleges had UX design or interaction design courses. So some mm. of them were more software focused. Some of them were multimedia. Some of them were more design, which I think kind of lends a bit of strength to the program because the students that we were bringing together out of these courses were um, were all slightly different, you know, yeah. and had different kind of they approaches. They come from a different perspective as well. It was really, really good. And, and we, we basically reached out to the courses... We asked students to uh, to make a video, a 60-second video, explaining why they wanted to take part. And then we just reviewed the videos in-house and we picked... Uh, we had to keep the numbers down because it's got to be manageable and, we, you know, a studio, like, you know, is not massive. Uh, so we picked, I think, 13 students. Wow, that's still um, quite a lot. Yeah, and we had them come here then for three days. So we had a boot camp, a three-day boot camp. We rented a house for them in Dublin so they could all live together. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah. uh, celebrity big brother. Big brother. <laughs> uh, everybody gets to stay in the house and uh, they're 24 I mean, it was literally 24-7. They were working nonstop. Uh, very big problem, required a lot of work to get through it all. You know, we also reached out to industry experts. So we had... Healthcare experts come in. We had people who work in kind of connected health technologies. We even had a Syrian migrant who actually had made his way to Dublin and we reached out to a migrant centre in Dublin and we had him, one of the Syrian migrants come in and meet with all the students and just talk about his uh, his journey. His perspective. On Absolutely. And I mean, that really brought it home to the students because, you know, up to a point you're dealing with a theoretical exercise and then when you come face to face with somebody who's been through it, it suddenly becomes a personal experience mm -hmm. and something that you can empathize with 
I mean, you know, it's very fundamental of user experience design. I mean, it involves going out and meeting people and yeah. not just taking, you know, the, the brief that you're given, but going out and finding out for yourself. And, exactly, and as yeah. designers, we, we thrive on that, you know, that empathy. So he came in and he, he talked about his story and, and, and the, the challenges that he'd faced. And so, yeah, that's how we kind of organized uh, the, the boot camp. So for three days, we worked through various elements of the challenge. And at the end, then the students present, they broke into teams and they put four teams and they presented four different approaches to solving the problem. So um, at that point, they come back and they present back to Frank and Henry and Fiona in front end and Sean Buckley as well, of course, he's, he's heavily involved. What was the projects like? They're all different. And how did it get from there to IXDA? Okay, so we, we triaged it a little bit. We, we broke the team, the, the big group into, like after the initial research, we broke them into four groups and we gave them themes to work on. So mm. one theme would work uh, was on um, systems, like technology systems. One was on kind of not wearables, but more like uh, physical artifacts that, that they could use. Another was on medication labeling. And another was uh, on, on a different uh, aspect of it. So we were, we were basically dividing the problem up into kind of component parts. And in a way, all of the pieces, all of the solutions could work together in an ecosystem, but we're splitting it up that way to, to make it more interesting and more varied. We chose, at the end of the day, was the medication labeling project, which is a really, really excellent piece of work that was uh, carried out by um, two students, one of whom actually uh, we hired after the boot camp, part of the, the whole process for the students was that we were going to pick one of them as an intern uh, and offer them a job, a proper job. So she's been with us now for, for I think, nearly three years. Mansi is her name. She's Mansi. Indian. So uh, Mansi uh, was one of the designers on that project. It was a very thought-through solution based around pictograms, coding, using a web-based template to, to generate these labels on the fly. Yeah. You need to understand how medication is distributed in, in a, you know, a makeshift medical center. Very on the transient environment. Of, of, yeah, exactly, of some two frontiers. They would have like large drums of you know, Prozac, paracetamol, wow. you name it, that they buy very cost-effectively. But there's no packaging there's no secondary packaging to tell you how to take the medication or what it is yeah. so they simply put them in a ziploc bag they stick an avery label on the front and they hand write like two of these twice a day in five fifty milligrams like quite often the patient doesn't know what they are what they do how to take them if they get more than one type of medication that confuses them mm. when they arrive at the next frontier the guys who, who ask them what medication they're on, they, they can't find out. They don't, they're not able to read the label. They don't know what yeah. they are in some cases. So it can lead to problems. So the system was designed to work within the constraints that they had, which was they're buying bulk medication and we need to apply a secondary label to it, but allowed them to make that solution work so much better in terms yeah. of localization, choosing different languages, adding notes, pictographics, so that you know a lot of these people traveling are difficulty reading. So there's a lot of, like, of really good ideas in there. And the UN were really, really keen on it. 
at the time, the, the World Health Organization were looking for a standardized label for medication wow. for all aid agencies because everyone uses a different standard or no standard at all. So that there's a feeling that this solution could be the starting point for what needs yeah, to be done. The baseline from there and you can take from there. Yeah. So that's a fantastic example of just you know brilliant work. And you got international recognition from um, IXDA again. For, you know, one, My Milkman. And uh, then you, you won another award, I think. You won the UX Awards in Palo Alto uh, last year as well for the Future Vision. I mean, winning awards is lovely and it's not really the main aim. But as a small... UX design consultancy, a relatively small consultancy based in Ireland. We we need to do our own marketing to get yeah. to let the world know that we're here and this is what we do. And awards are an effective way of doing that. Yeah. I mean, so that's why they're important, I suppose, that you know, customers from Wisconsin or like uh, you Sydney. know Germany or Sydney who haven't heard of us before, at least when they see that you've won, you know, some recognized awards, and okay, these guys may may well be good and and we have one work on the back of that. So uh, it is an important part uh, of how the business functions. It's brilliant because um, you know those last two projects haven't been just pie in the sky. They've actually driven real outcomes. Yeah, I mean, and that was, well, I mean, Milkman was obviously was a commercial project and, and has been very successful and continues to be. The future vision of migrant healthcare started off as we because it was the first time we'd done it. We didn't really know how successful it would be, whether it would be successful at all in terms of creating a coherent solution or saw, or creating something that anybody was interested in. And the fact that the UN found it valuable, that they you know, felt that there may be something in this for the yeah. future uh, was a bonus and hugely gratifying, I guess. So we remain, we wait to see how that's going to progress. We don't know yet what's going to happen next with that. Yeah. Um, so just moving on, um, the piece that are you know we, we were chatting about this for you know a while the moot project which uh, again I don't mean to keep on saying it but you won another award and I hear about this it's a bit like river dance in the nineties for Ireland I'm sure you're getting up on that stage winning another award but, but um, moot is a white paper I guess and it's about rebooting democracy yeah and it's something that I know the listeners on the podcast are very much like you know about fixing you know social problems and social design and stuff. So tell us a, a little bit about where this came from and you know there's there's some serious design superstars involved throughout and yourself of course Frank involved throughout it. So let's talk a little bit about where it came from. So I suppose how do you follow the success of you know the future vision of migrant healthcare which had kind of exceeded beyond our wildest dreams what we we felt we could achieve. So the following year, we were thinking, okay, well, what's the next problem we want to solve or look at? And Trump had just been elected in the US. Yeah. Um, the Brexit referendum had just taken place. Yeah. And I mean, everybody was in a way, I suppose, shocked by the outcome of both of those. And so, you know, and even in Ireland, we had protests for about against water charges and there were a hundred thousand people on the street like demanding you know that Absolutely. the government reverse the the legislation and that and it continues to this day i mean around around you know the world that there is a, a feeling of civic unrest and political mm. erosion of trust in, in political establishment and uh, in some cases i think technology is is playing a role in why that's happening, yeah. Um, so we've we've obviously got the whole Facebook fake news 
thing that was going on. And so we thought, okay, there's something in this. There's a problem that because it has a, a technology kind of root in some respect that, you know, I thought, well, this is an area that we should be able to maybe do a bit of thinking and, and come up with something that, um, you know, can shine a light or propose uh, an alternative solution to how this could be yeah. addressed. So, like, with the, the project, again, John Buckley, he, he was kind of kickstarting the, the project off, I think he said, is it John? That's right, yeah. How did you go about researching in this space? I guess, like we do with most of the projects, a lot of it is carried out online, you know, reading, you know, and, uh, and doing desk research. We had made a couple of contacts. I was at the Interaction Conference in New York that year, and um, there was a really interesting talk by Chelsea Malden mm. uh, from the Public Policy Lab. And I, I, I met her afterwards and I said, look, this is an area we're interested in working in. And, and so we, we kind of forged a bit of a contact there. And, and so, you know, through her, uh, actually, I spoke at another conference in Poland uh, that year as well. And I was introduced to Whitney Cuisenberry, who is part of the um, design. Yeah, with Dana uh, Chisnell. Exactly. So... Again, she gave a really interesting talk about like uh, the uh, design of uh, voting uh, ballot papers in the U.S. and how challenging it is for a lot of people. Uh, and so, you know, through through meeting people like that, I guess we uh, we got to know a core group of um, of advocates and of organisations that were already working in this space. We then also looking at the tech space. We're, we're lucky in Dublin that we have a lot of the major social media companies are actually headquarters here or, or have major operations here. So we had uh, reached out to Facebook and we had some involvement from Facebook during the early stages yeah. uh, just to understand their thinking on, on how they were going to... And what know, was that thinking? Uh, I guess Facebook were, were under a lot of heat. They were feeling they are, yeah. at that time. They still are, but it was it had started around that time. So they were very much focused on like putting fires out, you know, rather than I suppose you know de- helping us deal with some longer term. I wonder did uh, theoretical solution did Mark get an email with you know front ends URL kind of going these guys are going to reboot democracy and they want to know about <laughs> fake news. <laughs> Hopefully you could do a lot worse than reading this report. I tell you that for a fact. So tell us a little bit more, like, you know, storyful um, yeah, so st- business. I'm really keen to understand, you know, the, the kind of things that came out of the report. There's there's three great principles, or maybe it's a bit more. Is it three principles? Uh, there's actually there's, six principles. Six, six total, principles, but, sorry. I should have done my research more. I mean, just to kind of, like, fill in a little bit of a background, we we did the research, we, we got students in to, um, we did it a little bit differently this time. We, we learned from the first year, so we actually, in each of the courses, we gave them a project to do mm. um, so that they were primed and ready in this area. So oh, we've okay. got slightly different projects in different colleges. Yeah. And they would work on that for a number of weeks so that when they arrived at our boot camp, they'd already done a piece of work that, yeah. that had kind of primed them in this area and, and that they were already versant with a lot of the research that was out there. Yeah. Uh, that was really helpful. So when we got to the boot camp phase was a lot more productive we had story you mentioned storyful there and mm. they were really helpful they they came in storyful gave us a lot of insight into how they authenticate online stories for their news platform yeah, you mentioned this like t- tell us a little bit more about how they triangulate and figure it's, out the well, authenticity I, of a story I just remember 
driving somewhere one day and I heard an interview on the radio of somebody from Storyful explaining the process that they go through when they, let's say, get a tweet from somebody in Syria or, or in some you know, part of the world yeah. where they say something is after happening. And then they need to, before they can use that as a, a source for a news story, they need to authenticate that it's uh, actually it's true and they're not, it's not fake news. So they have a series of protocols that they go through and it involves, you know, looking at that person's online profile. They do research into who their connections are online. They're looking at the locations wow. and the times. They even examine the content of their photograph streams on Facebook so they can identify, are they in the location they say they're in? Are they, you know, are the wow. dates consistent? Uh, so there's a lot of work. And this obviously, you know, coincides with like um, telephone calls and reaching out to them in different channels to make sure that they're authentic. Uh, but I guess... It was impressive. Two things impressed me. One was that the the rigor of the process and the mm. levels they go to. I mean, it, it is quite arduous. And the second thing was the speed it's done at. It has to be done in a number of hours. Like literally, yeah. they they will do all of this work, which sounded like a huge amount of of legwork to be done. And it all has to be done within a couple of hours, so that yeah. the story is still relevant and fresh and out in time to inform the world. So Eamon Kennedy came in and um, he gave us good insight into how they do all of that. We also had experts from the field of machine learning for artificial intelligence. We, we, you know, we got some high heavy hitters in, mm. in terms of you know, giving us all of that insight. And I guess a lot of the work that we do in front end for our, our commercial side of our business would be working in those areas anyway. So we have a lot of knowledge in-house about how you know natural language um, processing works and how machine learning and, and various types of um, AI can be used in these projects. So you know that would be brought to bear on, on the group as well. So let's but, just go back to the, to the principles, I guess. Yeah, so I suppose what we found, I'll be honest, when, when we started trying to reboot democracy, we got about a couple of months into it and then we realized we'd bitten off a huge amount just more a than we could probably chew. Yeah, just a uh, bit. Very difficult to settle on one design asset or design artifact that was going to you know, yeah. embody the research that we had done. So it became apparent to us that what we really had here was actually two things. It was a kind of almost academic body of work yeah. that we had created through all of this research and contributions from all of the various people that we mentioned. Mm. And from that, we created a series of design principles. And these design principles were basically, how do you improve civic dialogue? Or how, how can we repair the trust in political institutions through employing better design and yeah. so we, we came up with, with six principles. And the, I mean, the principles were, were fairly, you know, do you want Broad. me to call like I can call them out here? They're like they're immediate, inclusive, representative, meaningful, informative, and transparent. I mean, I won't go into any too, too much detail, but I mean it's fairly some of them are pretty obvious. Like, I mean, if if it's gonna work, it has to work for everybody. So it's yeah. gotta be, you know, inclusive and easily accessible. It has to be representative. So the problem with social media is that it's very polemic so you get mm. one side of the argument and it's usually pretty extreme and you get the other side of the argument and it's pretty much extreme but there's no middle ground or there's no uh, effort made to kind of create real solutions rather than just objecting the status quo so, so, so what did moot do about trying to get a, a kind of a more rounded view of 
well, of things. Well, I mean, the, the approach we, we took based on these principles was that, first of all, it's got to work on whatever channel works for the user. Right. So, I mean, we had lots of scenarios worked out, you know, yeah. and, and personas. So you think about it like you're, you're sitting in the pub on a Friday evening and you're really, you know, concerned about the housing crisis. And, you know, you're having a conversation with your mates and, you know, you're trying to put the world to rights as we're very yeah. good at doing yeah. in these situations. And an opportunity that at that moment in time, when you're engaged, can you either find out more about what's going on or ask a question or contribute in some meaningful way to like the system yeah. and in a way have the system be able to take that information, process it and provide you back with a response or if it's not possible to provide you with a response to kind of like further it along to the representative that might be able to deal with that or the office that might be able to deal with that. So it started off as a, from the citizen side, it's a multi-channel client. So you can SMS it, you can email it, you can talk to it, yeah. uh, use it on your desktop. Uh, you ask a question, it will respond to you on the same platform that you ask. We use a little bit of like natural language processing and AI algorithms to define or redefine the question that you're asking, you know, so mm -hmm. you might phrase it in a certain way and it will come back and say, are you talking about this yeah, issue? To qualify and, it. And to qualify. Which is a big thing in, you know, Google Home and they're trying, yeah, to, trying to get around absolutely. that at the moment. And it's really, um, you know, I suppose a way of what we need to do is to try uh, at the back end of this, we need to kind of classify and categorize and stratify all of the, the topics that are being talked about because it's a very open-ended interface so yeah. any questions can be asked. So in order to make sense of it, they need to be grouped and they need to be managed in a, in a way that allows somebody to come in and see what most of the, of the conversations or issues raised are about and then to drill into those and to see the specifics once you're in there. So, yeah. so we're relying on heavy-hitting technology to manage a lot of that. From the the representative side, they will like have their own logged in dashboard where they will see the issues relating to them. Yeah. They'll be able to you know get all the various different levels of opinion for against in between. It's possible to for them to communicate individually with the citizen or to do it in groups. It's possible to poll groups of people. Mm. It's possible to put forward different suggestions, uh, and all of this can be done in a in a very easy to use way. Uh, when you think about these solutions, you should always, you know, uh, we all, as we do, we think about what's there at the moment. How does how does this work at the moment? And what happens at the moment is that a politician opens his inbox and he has like twenty thousand emails in it. And he's yeah. got a guy who sits there and he goes through those emails and he cuts and pastes a response in. Because every, everybody gets responded to, but yeah. it's kind of meaningless because there's no time to deal with, with issues on a citizen by citizen basis. You need to have a more effective way. Uh, so that's what the back end of the system is trying to do, which is to, at a certain level, it's automated and providing information where information does the job. If that doesn't work, it's kind of becomes more of a, a human response and that can be done by groups, different types of groups polling questions and all of that kind of stuff yeah it's amazing like it's it's a fantastic paper and you know it's one of the reasons why we caught up today because like i read it after we met a number of months ago i was like this is brilliant work and like i'm going to put a, a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to to download this and i encourage encourage any designers out there with a social uh, design 
I guess, appetite to really read this because this is this is the kind of work that you could bring to your boss and say, you know what, this is something we, we could try and challenge ourselves and do it on our, our downtime. Because I think as designers, we, we can actually, we can do a lot more than we actually believe we can. Absolutely. Um, I mean, design can change the world. Uh, sometimes we forget that. You know, when you spend 20 years working in a consultancy, yeah. <laughs> you might you might forget that you, you can change the world. Um, but those projects don't always walk in the door for you. You yeah. have to sometimes go and create them yourself. And grab them by the by the neck. And I mean, you know, just to just to finish out on this, um, when we launched the results of, of this project, the um, the white paper was was released at a symposium, and uh, Chelsea Malden was kind enough to come over to Ireland to speak at that conference. Uh, we had members and representatives of government there. Uh, who in the audience who listened to what was being said and following on from that we've actually done work on Ireland's government website gov.ie which has come directly from this which was something we again didn't expect to happen we didn't do this to directly win work you know in the area of civic democracy but uh, that's how it turned out so you know I think if you do good design work they will come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean? It's kind of like the field of dreams. <laughs> it's the Kevin Costner approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just just to, if anyone's interested in reading the paper, it's um, it's called the Rules of Engagement: Design Principles for Civic Dialogue in a Post-Truth Era, and it's available on our website uh, www.frontend.com forward slash engage. Well, that advertisement is just finished there, everyone. <laughs> I'm only joking. That's cool. Um, so we're we're gonna um, we come towards the end of this episode, and we always ask our guests three questions. And um, hopefully, I'm not going to put you on the spot too much. But the first question I want to ask you is, um, in as concise form as possible, <laughs> what, what is the one professional skill you wish you were better at? Uh, speaking less. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. Um, I'm a designer, I come from a design background and I mean trained as product designer and now for the last 20 years been working in you know interaction design and digital design and UX but I can't write any code and yeah. one thing I've always I'd love to be able to write code yeah, just to kind of. But you're you a great know, thinker, and like that's that's more important. Yeah, than but if if it was a scale, I could wake up in the morning, and I was I was I, was, I had it. Oh, yeah, that'd probably be it. That'd probably be it. So, what is the the one thing that you'd like to be able to banish from the industry, and why? Well, that's an easy question. Okay, so it's called UX design, and UX design has become you know the new black. Over yeah. the last ten years, every everybody has it. Everybody wants it. Everyone does it. But people have forgot that there's an emphasis on UX, but they've forgotten the design part. Mm. So it's become a very process-driven field. I think a lot of practitioners are slavishly following a process without thinking about what they're doing. Yeah, I know. You know so you don't need to develop personas for every project. You don't need yeah. you know, to do wireframes. You don't need to crank up balsamic all the time. Sometimes you do, right? But you need to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And we find it a lot where we've gone to companies to help them with their products that they've they've quite often gone some of the way already. Yeah. But when you get there, you see, well, we did this and we did that, but we didn't get any further. And and design is a leap of faith. Yeah. It, you can't process your way no. to a solution. You follow a process, but within that process, you need there are jumping off points where yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. 
It may or may not work. You've got to take a leap of faith and say, this is the direction I'm going to go for these reasons. And you go there, and then maybe your users will tell you it doesn't work. But I, I think that the emphasis needs to be re-established on the design side. Yeah. You know, it's all design at the end of the day, right? You can call it interaction design, call it graphic design, you can call it UX design. Ultimately, mm. it's design. It's design. And somebody, a wise person once said, there are no design problems. They're just business problems for designers to solve. So yeah. well, nice. I know there's going to be a lot of people nodding their heads. I know Sarah Drummond in Scotland, she echoed the same stuff in the last episode that I recorded with her. Um, and then finally, um, what's the message you'd like to give to design talent for the future? Work hard. I think, actually, maybe I touched on it on the last part, that remember that the problems you're solving, they don't exist in a theoretical world. They exist in the real world. So you need to make compromises and you need to understand the context that you're designing into. So having a good understanding of business and having a good understanding of systems, systems approach. So knowing that if we change this part, what's the effect going to be in all of these other connected yeah. areas? So we have found in the past that when students come out of college, they, they're good at solving the problem that's straight in front of them, but not always really good at understanding the consequences for the broader connected elements. And also like, you know, in terms of the business model, like revenue generation and, and all of that important stuff that clients are interested in, you know, profit, you know. Absolutely money. Frank, it has been brilliant chatting to you. Great catching up again. And, um, you know, welcome back in the podcast whenever you want. It's a pleasure, Jerry, and uh, welcome back to Ireland. Thanks so much. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can request to join the Slack channel and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.